0: Log Talk Radio.
1: President recognizes Mr. Adams of Massachusetts.
2: Objects of the most stupendous
3: magnitude.
0: Measures
2: which will affect the lives of millions, born and unborn. Are now before us. And we must expect a great expense of blood to obtain them. But we must always remember that a free constitution of civil government cannot be purchased at too dear a rate, as there is nothing on this side of Jerusalem of greater importance to mankind. My worthy colleague from Pennsylvania has spoken with great ingenuity and eloquence. He has given you a grim prognostication of our national future. But where he foresees apocalypse, I see hope. I see a new nation ready to take its place in the world. Not an empire, but a republic. And a republic of laws, not men. Gentlemen, we are in the very midst of revolution. The most complete, unexpected, and remarkable of any in the history of the world. How few of the human race ever had an opportunity of choosing a system of government for themselves and their children. I am not without apprehensions, gentlemen. But the end we have in sight is more than worth all the means. I believe, sirs, that the hour has come My judgment approves this measure and my whole heart is in it. All that I have, all that I am, and all that I hope in this life, I am now ready to stake upon it. While I live, let me have a country A free country.
4: Weapons of mass destruction were found. Are you kidding me? Do you buy that? There Do- were, there were, there were. Do- nya, nya,
5: nya,
6: nya, nya, nya.
7: I was five and he was six. We rode on horses made of sticks. He wore black and I wore
1: white. Come on, let us shoot. He would Blair. Head,
5: bang. bang. <whistles>
4: Hey, uh, I need to get the rats, the brass to drop ramps. I got a wounded girl. We did to take the rough of my. Oh, it's their fault for bringing their kids to a battle. That's right. The main reason we went into Iraq at the time was we thought he had weapons of mass
5: destruction. It turns out he didn't, but he had the capacity to make weapons of mass destruction. But I also talked about the human suffering
3: in Iraq. Hello, boys and girls. I have a special message for you from the President of the United States. I salute the boys and girls who are buying United States savings, stamps, and bonds, and they're giving important support to the cause of freedom and the men who fight for us in Vietnam.
1: Congress gave us this authority in August 1964
3: to do whatever may be necessary. That's pretty far-reaching. That's the sky's the limit.
0: As an American citizen, you have to respect our president, whether I like it or not. It's really my, not my decision, but I do respect my president, and I will support whatever decision he makes. Music played and people Just for me, the church bells rang.
4: It is a hard fact that U.S. strikes have resulted in civilian casualties.
0: Don't know why. Until this day, sometimes I
7: cry. He didn't even say goodbye. He didn't take the time to
3: lie. To lie the United States knows that Iraq has weapons of mass destruction. One of the first things they told me was, you're not even to acknowledge the drone program. You're not even to discuss that it exists. Renewed hostile actions against United States ships on the high seas
1: in the Gulf of Tonkin have today required me
7: to order the military forces of the United States to take action in reply. That reply is being given. Crashing through the lies and disinformation.
6: Everybody, Joseph Gibson podcasting here understanding the Times in which we live today, okay, the events happening around the world here unfolding here with the Russia debacle here at Ukraine, and I want to get the facts put out there uh, for everybody here the, the what, what what I can give you is the facts of what would happen if there was an attack uh, how the military would respond and uh, this is important because this could drive us into a World War three scenario, and uh, this is very serious. Um, times right now, and only time will tell how it's going to play out, the powers that be that control the world and the masses. Uh, the elites have a plan, obviously, why Russia's doing what they're doing and now, at this particular time. Um, there's a lot to it, uh, but I there's real no concrete proof of what's really, really, really why, but the New World Order, their COVID thing, and, and what's been going on, I mean... You know, all I could do is, is, is play you what's happening now to analyze it. We, we could do that later. But what we'll do is let me play you what's going on there and the facts of what would happen in, in a military strike and who would win and the, and the arm and what Ukraine has for tanks and, and whatnot. We'll give you all the logistics. Let me give you everything, detail for detail here, and uh, we'll go from there on that. Okay? So let's play that for you here. We'll start with this. And, uh just be patient, and uh, this should uh, be very interesting, and it's, it's, the, these are the times in which we live today. So we have to understand that.
1: Always... The U.S. and NATO have formally rejected Moscow's sweeping security demands, refusing, among other things, to rule out future NATO membership for Ukraine. In its written reply to Moscow's
7: proposals, Washington offers what it calls a serious diplomatic path out of the crisis.
1: In recent weeks, Russia has massed some 100,000 troops near its border with Ukraine, stirring fears of an attack.
0: A military exercise on a Ukrainian border. Russia is flexing its muscles, while Washington has handed over a written response to Moscow's demands.
3: Our response to Russia reflects what I said in
0: Kiev,
7: Berlin, and Geneva last week. We're open to dialogue. We prefer diplomacy and we're prepared to move forward where there is the possibility of communication and cooperation if Russia de-escalates its aggression toward Ukraine, stops the inflammatory rhetoric, and approaches discussions about the future security in Europe in a spirit of reciprocity. Our responses were fully coordinated with Ukraine and our European allies and partners with whom we've been consulting continuously
0: for weeks. The response was delivered personally by the U.S. ambassador to Russia. Moscow wants NATO to close its doors to Ukraine, something Washington is firmly opposed to. NATO has also sent a written reply, rejecting Moscow's demands.
3: While we are uh, hoping for and working uh, for uh, a good solution, uh, de-escalation, we are also prepared uh, for the worst. And uh, therefore, in parallel with our uh, efforts on the dialogue track, uh, we are also um, uh, increasing our uh, forces. Uh, and NATO allies have also increased uh, the presence, uh, partly to conduct surveillance, to monitor, to have the best possible picture of the developments uh, in in and around Ukraine, but also to provide uh, reassurance uh, to uh, to uh, allies.
0: In Paris there was diplomacy at a lower level. The Nomandy format brought Germany, France, Russia, and Ukraine together for another round of talks.
1: All right, here we go. Did you know that in Texas, rifles can be carried in public without a license? Whereas in Florida, no open carrying. 100,000 troops stand ready on Ukraine's border with Russia. Thousands more reservists have been called up to active duty. Diplomatic talks with the U.S. and NATO have broken down. Is Russia really about to invade Ukraine? And what will happen if it does? In 2014, despite publicly denying it, Russia invaded and seized Crimea formally recognized as Ukrainian territory by the international community. Per-Rudative, the Crimean conflict was a domestically inspired revolutionary movement by ethnic Russians seeking to rejoin Russia. However, it very quickly became clear that this was a lie, as Russian Special Forces, who earned the moniker Little Green Men for their featureless uniforms, were confirmed to be working with Crimean rebels. Then, deep dives into Russian social media produced even more damning evidence of regular Russian soldiers operating inside of Ukrainian territory itself. Russia never formally admitted to utilizing both unconventional and conventional military forces in Crimea to fight off Ukrainian forces, and in the end, Crimea declared itself independent and was quickly absorbed by Russia. Since then, fighting against rebel forces has continued across disputed Ukrainian territory, and Russia has continued to support those rebel forces, albeit in a slightly less obvious way. Now the fear of a full-scale Russian invasion of Ukraine seems more real than ever as 100,000 Russian soldiers mass on the border with the breakaway former Soviet Republic. But why would Russia risk angering the world with an invasion of a bordering nation? Could it really do it, and what would the world's response be if it did? Since the end of the Cold War, Russia has largely been in retreat from its former Soviet glory. It saw massive losses of territory and subsequent economic outflow from the independence of numerous former Soviet republics. As the nation struggled through tumultuous post-Soviet Union years, of these newly independent nations took the opportunity to ensure survival and independence by drawing closer ties with the west russia made it very clear that it did not want nato to expand further east than germany and yet one by one new eastern european states joined nato's ranks pushing nato forces closer and closer to russian territory eventually NATO would stand on russia's northern border with nato forces within 500 miles of moscow itself For a nation with as difficult a history as Russia, this was the sum of all fears, and a strategic disaster. Rarely ever the invader, Russia itself, has been repeatedly invaded throughout its history. and each time, the human and economic toll was profound. Many of these invasions threatened the very independence of the nation itself, such as Germany's near defeat of the Red Army in World War II, and Napoleon's invasion during the Napoleonic Wars these invasions are so threatening because russia sits at the eastern edge of the european plain a large swath of relatively flat land that's very difficult to defend with modern fast-moving military formations this strategic deficiency only increased and after world war ii the soviet union became obsessed with pushing any potential future aggressor as far west as possible led the soviet union to extend its sphere of influence as far west as germany creating the infamous soviet bloc as a buffer zone to any future invasion With the collapse of the Soviet Union Eastern Bloc, Russia's influence receded practically back to its own borders and all the strategic gains of the last 50 years evaporated overnight. Today, more Eastern European nations have chosen to draw closer to the U.S. and its European allies than to Russia, mostly due to Russia's authoritarian system of government and fears of becoming puppet states once more. As the new millennium dawned, Ukraine began to seek a pathway for membership in NATO, and Russia warned that this would be tantamount to a declaration of war between itself and NATO. Not willing to antagonize Russia, NATO postponed the Ukrainian question indefinitely, despite building cooperative ties with the nation. In 2014, Ukraine's worst fears were realized. And now its continued independence is in question by the 100,000 strong Russian forces massing on the border. If Russia invaded, though, how would Ukraine fare without Western aid? Ukraine has a population roughly a third of the size of Russia, and its military is ranked at the number 22 spot according to GlobalFirepower.com, which ranks world military powers according to the strength of their militaries, their economies, and demographics. Russia, despite slowly slipping out of it, still retains the number two spot as the world's second strongest military power, and its overmatch with Ukraine is significant. Russia's military numbers at 850,000 active personnel versus Ukraine's 200,000 strong military, a mismatch of 650,000 in Russia's favor. Due to the ever-growing threat of all-out war with Russia, both Ukraine and Russia have the same number of available reservists, 250,000, as Ukraine has dramatically increased readiness and training of reservist units. Since 2014, it's created dozens of additional reserve units, which can be quickly activated to combat Russian troops. In the air, Russia absolutely dwarfs Ukraine, with the second best air force in the world, numbering 4,173 strong. Ukraine, on the other hand, only has 318 aircraft available, with only 69 of those being fighter aircraft versus a fleet of 772 Russian fighters. Russia also enjoys a massive advantage in attack aircraft with 739 dedicated attack platforms versus Ukraine's 29. With the world's second largest air mobility fleet, Russia can call upon 445 aircraft to rapidly move troops into combat areas or launch airborne invasions deep in the Ukrainian territory. By comparison, Ukraine's tiny air mobility fleet of 32 would struggle to move significant personnel or supplies in theater. Russia's attack helicopter fleet also vastly outnumbered Ukraine's own, with 544 versus 34. On land, Russia claims tank corps of 12,000 strong, but it's widely accepted that only a few thousand of those vehicles, likely around 6,000, are capable of immediate combat operations. The rest are Cold War-era leftovers, which are in the mothball storage and will require weeks to reactivate and deploy. Ukraine, on the other hand, has a tank force of 2,596, giving Russia a probable 2-to-1 advantage over Ukraine. Russia also maintains a sizable advantage in number of armored vehicles used to support combat operations with 30,122 versus Ukraine's 12,303. So, what story do these numbers tell about a possible Russian invasion? Firstly, while the numbers advantage is decidedly on the Russian side, Ukraine wouldn't actually be facing the full force of the Russian military, even in a worst-case scenario. That's because a significant number of those troops are required for security operations elsewhere. Russia must still maintain a strong defensive posture along its northern border with NATO, and along its far eastern flank on the Pacific in order to deter a possible American incursion. Realistically, only about 50% of its western and southern military districts would be freed up for combat operations in Ukraine, with some reinforcements from the rest of Russia's three other military districts. A probable invasion of Ukraine would involve between 150,000 to 200,000 troops, bringing the number parity much more in line as Ukraine would be free to use most of its forces to combat the Russian invasion. With Belarus still being a strong Russian ally though, a significant number of Ukrainian forces must be left in reserve in case of an unexpected northern incursion, so even Ukraine can commit its entire force to the fight. Russian reinforcements would also need to make a lengthy trip from training camps or other military districts to Ukraine, while Ukraine would be drawn up for service just miles from the fighting. In a Russian invasion of Ukraine, Russia would not enjoy a vast number of superiority that the raw data shows, even if, as Russia believes, portions of Ukrainian populations would join them in a bid to rejoin Russia. A dubious proposition indeed. In the air, even only utilizing 30 to 40% of its air forces, Russia would still dominate the skies. Ukraine operates largely Cold War-era aircraft, which are being kept operational by a domestic arms industry, while Russia's inventory is largely modern, though not entirely so. Russia's overmatch in the skies would allow it to establish complete air superiority, and its extensive ground-based air defense batteries would allow it to threaten over half of Ukraine from the ground without even moving air defense units inside Ukraine's borders. Thus, Ukraine would likely opt to simply move its aircraft west and not even bother dedicating them to fight, opting instead for ground-based air defense. On the ground, Russia's tank forces vastly outnumber Ukraine's, but at least some of Ukraine's tanks are actually more capable than Russia's. In the second half of...
0: Together, we
5: lost 40, 40
1: pounds, pounds on nature systems, But I really recommend... In the 2010s, as war with Russia seemed ever more likely, Ukraine began a program of upgrading its Cold War-era T-64s, which are on the whole more sophisticated than Russia's vast fleet of T-72s. Domestic upgrades have made the Ukrainian T-64 and Bulat deadlier than Russia's own T-72. But even with two factories dedicated to the task of upgrading Ukraine's tanks, it still only has about 300 upgraded T-64s in its inventory. Sadly, with complete domination of the skies, this is likely to matter little as Russian air power systematically seeks out and destroys Ukrainian armor. Russia's sizable numerical advantage has diminished significantly in an invasion of Ukraine due to its defense commitments elsewhere, but it still allows Russia to rotate combat troops out of theater with fresh forces and to replenish combat losses of aircraft and vehicles at a rate that Ukraine simply can't match. Further, while the Russian Air Force also has defense commitments elsewhere, the nation would be able to dedicate a large number of strike aircraft to the initial days of the war launching a devastating Blitzkrieg of overwhelming force against ukrainian troops supply depots and command and control nodes russia also enjoys very robust electronic warfare capabilities having made much greater investments into this area of war fighting than most other nations in a bid to defeat american smart weapons and erode its technological advantage russian electronic warfare could seriously degrade ukrainian defensive radar interrupt or fully jam ukrainian communications and even aid in the spread of disinformation and propaganda this has already been seen in combat along Ukraine's Eastern Front, as Russian EW units jammed Ukrainian communications and even spoofed text messages to soldiers on the front lines with demoralizing or confusing orders. For the most part, Ukraine has no such capability. However, while the numbers heavily favor Russia, a conquest of Ukraine would by no means be easy for them. For starters, Ukraine enjoys home-field advantage, and after eight years of hostilities with Russia, pro-independent sentiments are strong amongst the Ukrainian population. Dreams of being welcomed as liberators by the locals and even having entire guerrilla movements spring up to aid invading Russian forces are almost certainly a Russian fantasy at this point. The Ukrainian people also have some faith that the West would not simply abandon them to Russian aggression, given that Ukraine's annexation back into the Russian fold would be a strategic disaster for NATO. This would help bolster morale in a brutal and very bloody invasion. The Ukrainian military forces have also proven themselves to be far more capable than Russia believed in 2014. When the process of annexing Crimea began, the Kremlin believed that Ukrainian forces would quickly crumble and be incapable of long-term significant resistance to rebellion movements sweeping across the country's eastern border with Russia. It was believed that Ukraine would quickly fall piece by piece to pro-Russian independence movements, financed, of course, with weapons and supplies by Russia itself. Yet the Ukrainian armed forces did not collapse as expected, and while they were unable to weather the onslaught of battle against line Russian forces disguised as rebels in Crimea, they had largely been able to contain the separatists and Ukraine remains united. Ukrainian military units have proven surprisingly resilient and capable even under assault by modern and more capable Russian weapon systems, prompting the United States to send numerous observers to gather intelligence on Russian capabilities. The world has also not stood idly by as Ukraine was covertly invaded by Russian forces, and in anticipation of a full-scale invasion has taken steps to ensure the nation is able to defend itself. The United States alone has provided a whopping $2.5 billion in military aid to Ukraine, with an additional $200 million given in December of 2021. The aid has largely taken the form of anti-tank missiles, anti-air missiles, counter-artillery radar systems, patrol boats, small arms, and millions of rounds of ammunition. To date, the United States is responsible for 90% of all aid given to Ukraine. The specific type of aid given speaks to the U.S.'s thoughts on a Russian invasion. The vast amount of deadly Javelin anti-tank missiles provided to Ukraine are meant to maul Russian tanks and armored vehicles and represent an extremely significant threat to a Russian invasion manned portable air defense weapons will help ukrainian soldiers eat into russian air superiority threatening russian aircraft and providing a survivable air defense component that's not easily destroyed by russian forces much like in afghanistan russia could face serious threats from u.s air defense weapons possibly having a significant impact on air operations in the country Counter-artillery radar systems will help Ukraine take on Russia's sizable artillery forces, which provide much of the Russian military's killing power. In combat operations against rebel and Russian forces, Ukraine's tank corps had suffered 400 casualties, and almost all of these to Russian-made artillery. Counter-artillery radar will allow Ukrainian artillery to immediately launch counter-battery fire destroying slow-moving Russian artillery. It's more important contribution, however, may be in limiting Russian artillery operations, as they'll now have to take into account the possibility of counterfire and thus practice shoot and scoot procedures, which limit total rate of fire and place non-motorized artillery units in serious risk. However, U.S. assistance has been more hands-on as well. The American military has provided direct intelligence support to Ukraine in the form of detailed satellite imagery and analysis, helping Ukrainian forces pinpoint rebel forces, track their movements, and target them for destruction. The assistance of America's eyes in the sky has had the effect of saving hundreds of Ukrainian soldiers' lives. The United States military has also assisted Ukraine by providing medical supplies and equipment as well as hosting numerous training exercises in western Ukraine. U.S. active duty, reserve, and National Guard forces have all been deployed to western Ukraine to help train local forces, bringing their combat expertise in Iraq and Afghanistan and teaching Ukrainian soldiers how to properly employ modern anti-tank and anti-aircraft weapons donated by the U.S. While no direct combat assistance has been provided by America to Ukraine, numerous and completely unacknowledged intelligence gathering and recon units have been deployed into the nation's conflict zones. This has allowed the U.S. forces to gather detailed intelligence on Russian weapon systems, as well as collect critical data on Russian electronic warfare operations and capabilities. This intelligence has helped Ukrainian forces directly in preparation for combat ops, but has also allowed the United States to better prepare for its own confrontation with Russia. The CIA has also joined the conflict. Its secretive special activities division has been training Ukrainian forces in guerrilla warfare tactics for years, and helping prepare the nation for a possible invasion. The CIA's SAD has been preparing Ukrainian active duty and reserve forces to wage an unconventional war against Russia's superior military, incorporating lessons learned from Vietnam and both the U.S.'s and Russia's invasion of Afghanistan. So, what would a Russian invasion of Ukraine look like? And what might happen? Russia's main thrust into Ukraine would come from its shared border, with an intense air campaign lasting two or more days from any Ukrainian air opposition and targeting command and control nodes troop staging areas supply hubs and industrial sectors in a mirror to the u.s's own strategy of shock and awe the intent would be a swift and incomprehensibly violent campaign meant to blind the ukrainian military throw it into disarray by disrupting communications and seriously demoralize it through extensive bombing ground-based missiles would supplement air operations allowing russian missile units deep inside its own territory to lay waste to ukrainian targets the next phase of the attack would, in the heels of the air campaign with a massive armored thrust into eastern Ukraine. A double-pronged assault would see Russian forces pouring into Ukraine from the northeast border and from inside the separatist-controlled area, which could afford Russia with a staging area for an invasion, albeit such an act would give away its plans to invade long before they were put into effect. Another possibility, though a risky one for Russia, would be a naval assault against Odessa from Crimea itself. Russia's Black Sea naval forces have seen major reinforcements since 2014, and while still low in numbers, Russia's current fleet in the region is capable of amphibious operations. Historically, Russia had difficulty with amphibious ops, due to logistical issues. And these same issues would be present today. However, Russia could still amass an amphibious assault force of 3,600 troops, backed up by 70 main battle tanks and 153 amphibious armored personnel carriers in a first strike. Do you know where your vehicles
6: are? Uh, What if you had this? We've no, just sorry about that, everybody, folks. All right, here. Let's get back to this. All right, that'll wrap it up there. Okay, so the military strength and the projections obviously are not one percent accurate. However, this is the most latest that has come come out uh, documentaries or videos that basically, uh, you know, you can get this, a lot of this stuff off the internet. Some of it is sent to me in video from people or like, for instance, friends in the military, you know, they'll, they'll, uh, down, they'll, you know, watch it and then they'll, you know, email it to friends or family or like me or something. And, you know, so, so, you know, stuff that they're getting because, you know, they let everyone know what's going on. But I'm going to tell you right now that from what I hear, from what I understand what's happening, that there will be uh the, the conflict will actually go uh it, it will start probably tomorrow evening or Wednesday early morning Thursday that's what uh this is, is supposed supposedly projected right now from what I was told and from leaks and information and sources that I have um that people have told me that the inside word and so they'll you know, so it's going to happen this week. That's what's been said. Unless some sort of arrangement or new dialogue uh, opens up. But as of right now, as we stand, the there's going to be war in, uh, in Central Europe. And uh, there's going to be other factors that can also lead up to uh, possible, um, I guess, sucking up people into the conflict. And it's going to create... A lot of disorder and out of disorder you get one world order and uh if all if the chips fall where they want them to fall um you know we could be looking at a very very serious situation here that can uh, uh escalate very rapidly this isn't like you know world war ii where it's going to take years for another country to get involved, or, or for us to get sucked into it, or, or something like that. It's going to happen rapidly once it begins. So it's not going to be long and drawn out. Those wars are over and done with. Wars are going to be fought very quickly now on a global scale. They'll be fought quickly. These are now, you know, this isn't this is like Iraq or Afghanistan, you know, we're, you know, door-to-door fighting. That's afterwards. That's the after effect, you know. But, but, if that was to happen now there's three scenarios that have been thrown out thrown out and uh talked about and has been leaked out uh what could happen and what they're preparing for just in case um if if um say uh, the United States is is roped into some sort of uh, um, uh pushing back and forth with with our with our military toys and their military toys in the Pacific okay and in the Pacific, in the Pacific, uh, Russia has, is very, very weak. They, their navy, navy is just not—it's—it's—it's it, it's, it's just pathetic. They—they they just don't have any type of standing in the Pacific. But they will. But they're not going to let it go either. <clears throat> and the reason why they haven't paid too much attention to it because it would be stupid for the United States to attack Russia. And, and go on the ground and do a ground campaign that way to you know they, they, to re- go across the the countryside there of russia from from uh, uh, the pacific ocean would be just absolute uh suicide and even with the technology and what uh, we have today and and the aircraft we have and and the way we can move troops rapidly it would be it be an impossibility basically it would be suicide so um but what they're saying is, though, is that the Russian Navy over there, um, they've got their, oh, I forgot the name of their battleship they've got um, over there that they have, but they're, they're going to have, what they're going to do is they'll keep their destroyers close to the uh, land, about 13, 15 miles, and their submarines also will be close on by. And then we have the uh, the aircraft, uh I forgot the name because people are messaging me right now, and I wish they, hell, they wouldn't do that when I'm on the air. I know you're out there, and I know you want to talk, okay? So um, uh, the Poseidon, oh yeah, the Poseidon, okay, uh, is up there, and they what they are they're above, way up there, and they're watching everything that happens below, okay. And the Russian, basically the Russian Navy, is they have to get into this like square box area within 300 miles of our of our aircraft carriers and uh, ships to have any type of an attack, uh, sustainable attack to sink any of our ships. Now. If they launched they would need one hundred aircraft uh uh throwing their 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 um their uh, uh missiles from their aircraft launched at our ships at our ships because they would lose i think it's seventy five percent of them because we would shoot them out of the sky everything that shot at us with three different levels of technology and but when it's all said and done to cut to the chase here that they they can do a little bit of damage to our aircraft carriers, but they won't be able to sink them. And they just don't have the capability. Russia just does not have the capability. They have this one missile that travels at the uh, speed of sound twice, twice the, twice the speed of uh, sound. And that missile can, gives us a lot of problems defending against it. But it's inaccurate uh, for Russia, and it just, it, it like I said, they don't have that many of them. Okay? So... I think uh, they'd have to, I think if they used everything they had, they would, you know, it'd just be, they'd be wasting them pretty much. So they don't have enough. So basically what I'm trying to say is that the Pacific Ocean, we will take that side of the globe, we will take and conquer immediately. And then it would be up to the United States as to what, how it would want to go and attack Russia uh, from that point on. And because if this opens up and we get into a conflict with Russia, this has been planned for many years to to go to war with Russia. Our troops have been trained to attack Russia throughout the, you know for many many years now since the cold the end of uh, uh, World War II. So we that was the that's why we and we're in the arms race. That's why we we tra- That's why our military is basically for taking on Russia. Okay, throughout all these years, so our troops and our military is very well capable of destroying and annihilating Russia. Okay and and we can do it and, and but again, these are these are scenarios out there. If we're dragged into this, but if we're dragged in, it's not going to be we're friends and we're going to talk and negotiate. We will attack Russia and and conquer Russia. We'll wipe them out, and that's going to lead us into a very serious global problem with China, India, and uh, and and then our European allies: Germany, uh, uh, Great Britain, uh, Italy, uh, France. I mean, it, it, there's going to be so much going on that world war 3 is really going to be a mess and the Cape, and now other countries attacking our homeland our our, uh, our land it's quite possible after that I mean, that's why I was bringing up the Pacific for someone started messaging me and broke my train of thought here, because Alaska would be where the Russia would be trying to go for, and then they'd go through Alaska and try to get into Canada. You know, because Russia just couldn't attack the California coast. They just don't have the capability of even coming close to our shores. And they're not going to, and the idiots out there saying they're going to use nuclear weapons, they're not going to use nuclear weapons. They're not. And it's just not going to happen, okay? Nobody's going to nobody's going to, want to have a nuclear war. We're not going to have a nuclear war. It's just not going to happen, all right? You have to be a complete idiot to you. You know, everybody around the world would have to be on the same page to just kill each other and wipe out humanity. And I, and you know, we're not starting wars to do that. So, uh, you know, so that's not going to happen. I think it's, we got what 181 nuclear warheads that that are. Uh, that that are facing uh, towards Russia, or, or Russia, China, and, and uh, all the other countries over there. So, and I think half of them have been, um, are been dismantled. Half of them actually too, because, you know. So, so anyway, that's just out of the question. Don't even get into the nuclear war scenario. That's just total asinine. It's not going to happen. But attacking Russia, what would the world look like <clears throat> if we wiped out the Soviet Union from the globe and just and, and conquered them? What would it? I mean, would there would be another Japan they'd have they'd be you know would, you know it'd be another like what we did to Japan after World War II you know they'd be at our beck and call and mercy i mean uh the regime the government gov- the soviet government would have to be replaced i mean you're talking a big mess and all the resources oil and uh, uh resources that the uh the russian government has is uh is it's just insane so a lot of the other people around the world would be – a lot of the other countries would be very interested in that, and they would become angry at us if we you know, tried to take control of all that. So we could be – you know, then the rest of the world would be pointing their finger at us, and we could be isolated. And for us to take on the entire world, that is the other scenario I wanted to bring up. We are very strong enough and capable to take on the entire globe with our military. Because of all the bases we have scattered around the world, we can wipe everybody's capability out before they even tried to come over here and attack us. Okay? So uh, the United States is a superpower for a reason, and it's a very – and the United States' military is very, very capable of uh, defending against the world. Okay? So I just want you to know that. Anybody has any doubt on that or if they think or if they want to be a naysayers or start arguments or debates over that, you're a fool. Because there, and don't come with the China stuff either, because China can't put a billion men over here on the shores without you know us stopping it first before it happens. We have a remember we have a space program now, we have a branch of the military that is in outer space now. So um, we you know and trust me, the technology we have in those with those satellites. <laughs> It's mind, mind-altering. We'll, we will jam every type of radar system they have, every type of uh, t- technology they have, right down to their r- FM radios in their, uh, in their countries. We can jam them up and free. So the United States' superiority and technology, like I said, is superior, vast, uh, than any other that this world has ever known as far as military capabilities go. We are very strong and very powerful, and the world listens to us for a reason because they know. All right, so I want you to understand that so russia we would- we would uh you know if it's done right, we could wipe them off the face of the face of the planet, and uh it can be done so um this thing with Ukraine again, I believe that uh i, I don't think we should become involved in it, but uh I'd like to hear from other people what they think or what they feel or what they have any knowledge of or about of this or if there's any military people out there that are listening and what they know throughout the history of America and and what they know uh, or if they've studied the cold war history the phone line is 657-383-0616 press number 1 and I'll bring you on on screen uncensored if anybody wants to have a dialogue or or a conversation uh, pertaining to these uh subjects or uh materials that I just played for you um Again, this is the brink of World War III here, and there's a lot to it, uh, a lot of things that are going on that uh, behind the scenes also, and there's agendas that are trying to be fulfilled, and we've talked about the new world order many, many times on this show. So people have to understand this. Do you think we should get involved with the Ukraine? Uh, 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 this, what's going on? Does anyone think that we should just stay out of it and mind our own business? And let Russia overrun their military, uh, Ukraine's military, and let them seize control of Ukraine? Does anyone think that that's the better way of going about this? I mean, what happens when we allow a free-for-all start happening again like this? What happens then when China goes in for Taiwan next? And then, you know, what do we do then? We butt out of that, too. You know, and, you know what happens? You know, you are looking at it a lot, and then China attacks Australia. You know, where does it end? You start. You start. You have one madman, one nutcase, Putin over there, and you have one leader of a country that just becomes impatient and has the capability of starting a global conflict. You know, North Korea. They're not. What's that nutcase going to do over there? You know, he's he's probably just really pissed off that he's not getting the attention right now. I mean, I'm sure he's got plans if something happens. Which you know, North Korea is a very very. <laughs> Another formidable. uh, Actually, they'd be worse to try to conquer North Korea, you know, because of their 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 geographic and the amount of troops they have and how they fight and uh, just there's a lot to it. There's a lot of things, and I'm no expert here on all the subjects of war, the art of war, or history, but I have studied a little bit of it, and that's my from my sources and my intelligence and from what I'm getting. Is this, this is how it's going to play out, and it's happening this week. This is where this conflict with Russia. So uh, hopefully I'm wrong. I hope I'm wrong. But it's, something's got to give. They're just not going to pack up and say, let's go home, guys. That was fun right now, right? They're just not going to pack everybody up and bring the troops home, the Russians, right? They're there for a reason. They're going to do something. They have a plan, and they're going to follow through with that plan, and they're going to carry it out. You know, so I just don't know what you think about that. Let's bring on a caller here. We'll bring on seven seven zero. You put your hand up, we'll bring you on here. You're alive, understanding the times in which we live today. Boy,
5: Joe, you know, I don't disagree with you very much, but man, I gotta take about if not a one eighty disagreement with you, at least a one sixty. All right. That's first, that's a first. I'm willing. Let's talk it out. Let's do it. (laughs) Look look here, man. I gotta remember Say what I'm going to say. i got to preface my statement. I spent much of my adult life training to fight the Warsaw Pact and the Soviet Union as a member of the United States Army and the Army National Guard. I, got, I still got manuals, FM field manuals, dealing with Soviet mech, motorized rifle company, uh, Soviet armor in the attack, the RPG, all this stuff. They gave us all this stuff I, uh, Soviet spetsnaz and airborne units in uh, in uh, rear area operations, all that stuff. I was a tank commander in an M68-1, which is the main battle tank of the Army. And well, After I got to Vietnam, they sent me to Germany. I was in the Folder Gap, ready to repel a Warsaw Pact invasion, which would probably have been spearheaded by the 4th Ukrainian Guards Tank Army. So I know about fighting. So at least I got a pretty good idea of what might happen had we had to fight the Soviets. Then, when we were really prepared to fight waves of Russian armor. We were told by our commanders that we were expected to fight along phase lines. We would have tripped the initial waves as best we could, fall back to another phase line, do the same thing again, fall back to another phase line, do that again, and whatever was left of us, would be prepared to be reinforced by the follow-on units in a reforger operation. Okay? okay. They essentially said we were going to be uh, annihilated within maybe 72 to 125 hours. Now, this is, we okay. were prepared then. Now, what, have the, what has the United States Armed Forces been doing for the last 20 years or so? Well, they changed they've changed that attack plan, sir. They've been fighting a bunch of goat herders and flip-flops.
6: All right? Well, now and the plan is to out. let them overrun you. Now the plan is to let them overrun you, sit back for a while, let them overrun, then attack from the rear. That's, that, that's the, that's the uh, type of style well, that we they want to fight.
5: we over there in Poland, Joe. Paratroopers. Now, I want, I, I want you to tell me, in case you want to know what happens to paratroopers who go up against mechanized armor-heavy units, I would refer you to Market Garden and Arnhem in World War II. Uh, They fought bravely, valiantly, and put up an epic fight. But in the end, they simply got steamrolled. Yes. Look, look. That's why I was just telling you, do They let them overrun. Carriers, our aircraft carriers are not going to decide the fight. They're not, they're, 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 look at what the Russians are likely to do. They've got likely three axes of advance they can pick to do. Look, Putin doesn't want all of Ukraine. He wants Ukraine, the eastern part. He wants it up to the Dnieper River, up to Kiev, because that's where the Russians are, the Russian uh, ethnic Ukrainians who speak Russian who have a sympathy for Russia and are likely to go along with a reunion with Russia or a union with Russia. He didn't want, I don't think he wants all of Ukraine. And I got news for you. The terrain there favors a rapid armored advance. Not,
8: now, the Not, Ukrainians not from have the Pacific
5: side.
6: Not from the Pacific side it does. Not from the no, Pacific side. No, but again,
5: the Ukrainians have a good Well, you got to remember, you're talking about the Black Sea. That's where they are. They're around Crimea. This is the area Ukraine is located in, the Black Sea. Sea. I mean, you know, Ukraine is longer than landlocked. Sorry, you you didn't
6: hear me correctly. Sorry, you didn't hear me correctly. I said if we were to get involved, that uh, the Pacific Ocean battle would be where the the Russian Navy would be overrun so simply. But it would be suicide for us to attack Russia from that side. You're assuming if the war goes beyond the borders of
5: Ukraine. I don't think it will go that way initially. Any more than the Second World War expanded much beyond the borders of Poland. Remember, they had a long called the Phony War. It was months before they even invaded France
6: after they took Poland. The war didn't get big, didn't become worldwide. Yeah, but it's month. not going to drag out like that, Sarge. It's not going to drag out like that this time. It's not going to be, you know, okay, it, do it, it you months really and years.
5: think we're going to unleash our fleet against the Russians if they move into Ukraine and they make rapid advances initially? Do you really think that? I don't think so.
6: With Joe Biden in control, yes. I think wrong, wrong military decisions you, so you will be made. So you think Joe
5: Biden is going to order the United States Pacific fleet the Atlantic Fleet to go up against the Soviets' Baltic fleet.
6: You know I that? think that, yes, I think he'll be advised improperly, and he's going to make the wrong decisions. Yes. And, and to what effect would this do?
5: That's going to stop all those armored formations going across the plains? How I mean, Do you realize that the Russians don't throw away any armor? They probably got a bunch of T-34s from World War Two. They literally <laughs> have thousands of them. There are probably too many targets for them to hit them all, even if you do unleash carriers so, and they put enormous damage on their waves of attacking armor.
6: Yes, okay, I, mean, I
5: agree I do, with I, you. See, said, we've been fighting raggedy-ass goat herders for the last 20 We have no idea, it seems. I'm, I'm, apparently, I'm, I'm hoping that I'm wrong. Okay, Joe, get, listen to me, Joe. You know how much I love the United States Armed Forces? Yes. and Everything about it. It's history, everything. But, look, I have no confidence in our ability to fight a peer army on the ground. None. Not not under this current regime. You are not going to defeat a Russian armor-heavy army with special forces. Yeah, they're important in helping you to win the war. You know, capturing key bridges, disrupting river No, but our air power and
6: our navy. But you're our not going to win it air. with
5: special operators. You need infantry, mechanized infantry, and armor on the ground. How are you going to get it there?
6: No, sorry,
5: how are you going to get it through Poland?
6: Yeah, I know. Do but our air force. You realize got to go
5: all through western Ukraine to get there. He only wants Ukraine that. up to the Dnieper River. He only wants the eastern part. Boy, he's not getting it. He's not getting it, because NATO gets involved, Well, gonna how are we going to stop moves. them from Poland? Well, if NATO gets we involved, the United the States capability. will get involved. We, look, we don't have the airlift capability. Look, this is going to be a ground war initially. We don't have the airlift capability to get that kind of heavy weaponry into position to fight them. And it has to be done, like you said, with air power. And look, we, we have been used to having air supremacy in every war we've fought since Korea. Air supremacy, uncontested control of the air. Do you really think in their own backyard we're not going to have great difficulties with their air defense systems and their air capability? Yes, we are. We're not going to establish okay. air supremacy right away like we did over the Iraqis. The, the Russian Air Force is not going to go run and hide in Iran. No, They're but going
0: France to fight
5: would... for air supremacy.
6: And yeah, it's I know, be but
5: the Look, right bases now in you France. got to realize the leverage that Putin holds thanks to this senile old goat we put in the White House. This guy has got the, 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 all of Western Europe dependent on the Russian energy peak. They can literally, it's winter coming up. They can literally hold the prospect of Western Europeans freezing to death if they go against the Russians. Why do you think Germany's only sent the Ukrainians 5,000 helmets? No anti-tank yeah. missiles, no javelins, no, no AT-4s, nothing to stop all that armor they're going to send across. But no, they, they don't want to be involved with it.
6: They want to keep that energy flowing to Western Europe. We can't That's count true. on the Europeans. Oh, of course not. Hey, Sarge, let's bring 314 on. I think this is Bianchi. Let me bring him on. Go ahead. 314, bring in. come on in the conversation. I know you've been waiting a while. Sorry.
8: Man, I'm going to be praying tonight. Joseph, This is one of the few times I'm going to have to leave you long This one baby (laughs) Go ahead I'm getting attached (laughs) You don't want to be Messing with Russia I'm just saying (laughs) You do not want to mess with Russia I I would try my uh, Most best To be an ally with Russia The enemy is China Now I may be seeing things wrong but uh, it's no way that I think that uh, let Russia have the the eastern part of Ukraine hey you got a big fifth column there anyway so they're not just going to sit by while the fighting is going on especially if it goes beyond plans and also you know as George was saying Russia is situated for land battles but they are having some superb aircraft themselves so no, we don't want that. Dem- let the Democrats figure out another way to try to win the elections that's coming up <laughs> and leave that alone. But I would go for one way. If you draft all these idiots that was participating in riot, street riots in the country for the last two years, put them in uniform and send them over there, and let me sit back and watch.
5: <laughs> I feel like I that's you're pretty saying- good, man, but I'm just saying, though, man, look. All the Look, if this would be different, I would agree with you more, Joe. If, like, the Russians had to contest uh, a a, a, an objective, wherein they we both had to ship our units far away from our home bases. Like, say it was uh, say a thousand or fifteen hundred miles away for both uh, countries. But it isn't. That's their backyard. You've got to get heavy equipment in there to counter Russian ground forces. How are you going to get it there? You're going to get it, you're going to look at you while you're fighting for air supremacy. How are you going to get it there? You're going to get it either overland. You've got to come up to the uh, Black Sea, through Sevastopol, through Crimea, or you've got to come in with an air bridge. And an air bridge is going to be subject to interdiction because all those air defenses that the Soviets built up, in case you haven't f- forgotten, the Soviet Union gave the North Vietnamese their best air defense system during the Vietnam War. And you see the trouble we had with it, didn't you? You think they haven't gotten better systems? They're really good at electronic warfare and jamming.
6: Yeah, uh-uh, well, it's
5: not going to be I'm gonna like get into that. that. I'm sorry, it just ain't. We got no business trying to get involved with the ground war in Ukraine with what we've got available. Paratroopers cannot defeat mechanized infantry and armor. They just can't. No I matter mean, how bravely they fight.
8: Okay,
6: well, I mean, I'm so you saying off. we I'm need gonna... to stay out of it.
8: Yeah, I'm saying that. I'm going to pull back and listen, uh, Joseph. Good hearing you. Okay. Good hearing you also, sort Thank you.
5: Yeah, good hearing you, Piongi. But I'm serious about this, man, because, look, I went to the Fort Irwin National Training Center when I was in the National Guard, and we went up against Op OPFOR. They have a unit, OPFOR, that is trained in Russian and Soviet tactics. You know, they're a mechanized, uh, like a brigade a mechanized brigade, they have actual Soviet-Russian like T-62 tanks, they had a couple of T-72s, they had a bunch of T-55s, they had a bunch of Sheridan uh, armored reconnaissance vehicles that they disguised to look like Russian armor. Other stuff looked like BMPs and stuff like that, That's the Russian personnel carrier. We went up against them over a three-week period. They kicked our ass every single time. Now, true, they were elite. They were used to working together. They knew the ground and the terrain and everything else. But believe me, when we got the after-action reports, uh, we understood
6: why they kicked our asses. Okay, well, let's get into that, Sarge. Okay, let me cover that then. You're saying the greatest I about mean, I mean, the anti-aircraft. This is Fort
5: Irwin, California, National Training Center.
6: Okay, all right, I got 10 minutes here. i
5: tell you what, you go there with almost any unit that's gone against that OP4 unit. They got up there at the National Training Center, and they'll give you similar stories. They almost always win.
6: Okay, well, let's listen to this one right here. Ten minutes. Ten minutes. It covers what you just talked about, and this is as of November 2022. Okay, so let's, let's listen to this one, and then you can give me a comment on this. It is is breaking the uh, S-400 with the F-35s and uh, your anti-aircraft, what you were just talking about in the ground and whatnot. And then I'll do one after, uh, well, after you comment on that with the tanks and the ground forces. But let's do this. <phone rings>
7: October 1st, 2022. At 0800 hours, destroyer elements of the US Navy's Carrier Strike Group 2 began launching an enormous Tomahawk cruise missile strike. The target? Multiple structures controlled by the Syrian regime suspected to be involved in the production of chemical weapons. The Tomahawk land-attack missile is a standoff weapon, launched from extreme distance, putting the carrier strike well outside the range of Syrian retaliation. Now the missiles make their way towards the Syrian coast, skipping just 30 meters above the ocean surface, using the curvature of the Earth to hide themselves from ground-based radar. Unlike the Shirat missile strike of 2017, where 59 Tomahawk cruise missiles savage Shirat Air airbase in response to chemical weapons usage, these Tomahawk missiles are about to encounter unexpected resistance in the form of a very modern Russian surface-to-air missile system. The Russians have decided to step in this time to defend the interests of their Syrian ally using assets already in place at Hamaiman Air Base near the city of Latakia. Based on our research, these assets include a hand-modern Sukhoi fighters, Pantsir cores and books for point defense, and the vaunted S-400 Triumph missile system. Much has been said about the S-400, the latest in the long line of Russian surface-to-air missile systems. A long-ranged anti-stealth jam-resistant radar, and missiles with an often quoted range of 400 kilometers, double that of its predecessor. Let's see how well the S-400 stands up to various weapon systems in this hypothetical operation. The incoming missiles are first spotted by the Airborne Early Warning Aircraft, 150 nautical miles. The data is relayed down to the now alerted S-400 Battalion. At 30 nautical miles, the S-400 opens up, pouring dozens of missiles from its launchers on intercept courses. The on combat air patrol join the fray. Launching long-range R-27 Alamos. Control-hosts kept keeping archers. the S-400 now chime in. Pansir, tour, missile systems contribute their share, hitting the herd even further. With all loaded magazines expended, the remaining missiles press on, cruising towards their targets on pre-programmed paths. Tomahawks make their final approach. Older Syrian S-75 missile systems stationed nearby mount a final line of defense. battery was able to degrade this cruise missile strike. Luckily for us, this Russian intervention has aggravated the United States, who've just authorized Carrier Strike Group 2 to suppress and destroy the S-400 battalion. It's only a sense if someone set this up to explore SEED, suppression of enemy air defenses, against a modern SAM network. We'll run these combat simulation twice. First with older conventional technology, using 4th generation non stealth aircraft employing weapons and avionics available to US Navy Carrier Strike Group around the year 2015. Then, we'll run that exact same scenario again with 5th generation stealth aircraft with cutting-edge technology including new weapons that's expected to become operational within 3 years' time. Let's get started. It's October 2nd, the next day. At 0800 hours, the USS Dwight D. Eisenhower turns into the headwind and begins launching the strike package. A symphony of activity on board as the supercarrier executes a massive launch operation. 45 aircraft in all, one aircraft taking off every 20 seconds. The 4th generation strike team consists of multiple groups of fa 18 Super Hornets equipped with all manner of weaponry. Miniature air launch decoys to jam and distract. Advanced anti-radiation guided missiles to home in and knock out emitting radars standoff glide bombs to destroy launchers and infrastructure. And all...
6: That it, so, you're you're saying that the Russians don't mess with Russia?
5: Russia. Uh, at I,
6: last, you got the sound back, man. We didn't hear nothing. You uh, we were gone off the air
5: for quite some time.
6: I was gone off the air? What are you talking about?
5: Yeah, oh. there was no sound. Check the chat room. Everybody's saying no sound. Right. Really? So no. I don't know if we oh, was playing funny. the tape or, or whatever, but it, we didn't hear most of it.
6: All right, all right. Well, that's okay. I'm, that's odd. I'm surprised because well, well, I can hear man, everything. We just
5: stay out of it entirely. Look. Have you ever heard of an organization? I think 202, I got you
6: next. But Go ahead, Sarge, I'm sorry, go ahead.
5: Have you ever heard of an organization called Ukranska Popstanska Armia? You, you ever heard of them? No. Well, they were called the no. UPA. That was the Ukrainian insurgent army after World War II. They fought the Soviets to a fairly well after World War II. Before they became an independent country, they don't like the idea of the Russians occupying their country. They killed numerous uh, Soviet field marshals and conducted ambushes and guerrilla warfare for years after World War II. They will put up a good fight. Ukrainian army will not be a pushover. They're
6: going to fight. No, I I know. That's what I'm saying, Sarge. That's what I'm saying. We can give them
5: advisors. We can give them equipment. I'm just saying, man, we don't need to get involved there. We don't have the capability to project there.
6: Okay, okay, Sarge. All right, I got to bring on two, uh, 202. two oh two. He's been waiting a long time. I, was, I just I'm trying to figure out that sound uh, defect there that happened there. But anyway, we are going to war. Uh, Ukraine, excuse me, Ukraine and Russia is heading into conflict, and they are. And if the United States, I don't know, but they are preparing to be and get involved, Sarge. They are. All right, so, but, but, but we'll one other thing I'd like
5: to bring to your attention. Yeah. It was a survey done by the 173rd Airborne Brigade which is the operational uh, uh, um, uh, readiness unit for the United States Army. They did it back in 2017. It's eye-opening.
6: Okay. Well, we'll talk a little bit more about that. Let we'll me bring on 202. They wait. I had a few others. I apologize. Go ahead, 202. You're on. Go ahead.
4: What do you say, everyone? We're doing uh, I've, good. I've had, I've had one of the best days in a long time today. And I'm going to try to share it with you guys as you're being distracted by the beating of the war drum. There ain't going to be no war over there, man. Oh,
1: okay. Well, Thank that's what they win. said in World War II. But. Ah,
4: <laughs> I know that sounds – do you trust what's coming across the news lines? Do you, you trust well, the mainstream no, media No, of course of not.
5: I'm just that, no, oh, no right of course not. No, no, of course not. Who's beating the war drum? Who's I, I get my information
6: the from the military, people in who's the military.
4: Well, man, look—if they don't play this out like all the way through the ranks, it's not going to seem real. We've Got to really put that—we're going to put that war drum. But let me tell you what—I got—I got the biggest news you'll ever hear.
6: Okay, well, and, give it to us. It Go ahead. ahead.
4: All right. Well, you know, you know, my favorite topic is the birth certificate.
6: Yes, you I know, know about the banks. Yep.
4: Oh no, no, it's—it's. It's, It's about the date of birth.
8: Okay. And
4: and do you think that your date of birth is the date of birth of that legal entity, that legal person? Did, Did you think that your date of birth, up to just last week, the middle of last week, I thought that the date of birth for the legal entity was my date of birth.
6: But what would that have to do with you? Now, hang on. I've got people asking already. What does that have to do with the global conflict and or money or the banking system or the economy? What does that? How does that affect us today? Because somebody just matches me that.
4: I just had thirty-five thousand dollars just go, poof, paid as agreed. So you're you're saying you're accessing
6: money through your through getting correcting this this error.
4: I'm not accessing nothing. I'm trying to tell Alrighty. you what's up. So everybody okay, just right. chill for a minute. Okay. All right, if go you, ahead. If you interrupt my flow, I'm just gonna say, hey, you guys will it'll catch go up ahead, to go you. Go ahead, go ahead, go ahead.
6: The floor is yours. Go ahead.
4: All right. The file date on the birth certificate, certificate of live birth, whatever way you can get it now because like California hides it. <coughs> I wonder why. <Country>. Um, that file date is the actually recorded date of that legal entity. Now, this information came to me last week. Meantime, I've noticed the clerk of the court, hey, you guys got the wrong date. That was last Wednesday. Well, by today, the, the child support illusion of debt is gone, paid as agreed. Um, yeah, this is an interesting uh, factoids that they never told you because when you went in the driver's license, back to the DL, that's the portal to hell right there, and we got to change it. I'm not saying this is right, but it's got to be changed. That DL, when you went in for the first time with your mommy or your daddy, when you were 15, 16, when it very sticky, I'm going to go to driver's class, I'm going to go out with Mary Sue, I'm going to go cruising. You weren't thinking about what was going on there. You were just being led by the misled, you know, mom and dad, sadly, generations of misled people. And as soon as you said, yeah, under penalty of perjury, the date of birth for that legal entity is my date of birth. Never, ever looking to look at the file date being the actual date of birth for that legal entity, and you just lied and committed perjury. And now let me tell you some of the concrete things that have come forward since then. And that's why I'm sharing it with everybody. You do what you want with it. Don't believe it. Don't research it. Research it. uh, Repair it. (coughs) Correct it. Because that's what I'm doing. Uh, I got a man that's collecting his Social Security benefits with the corrected file date off of the birth certificate. Not his date of birth. See, you You go saying my date of birth is the legal entity's date of birth. You are committing perjury on their forms. When a friend of mine who was in law school... Until he found out that was part of the Communist Guild, he said, I can't do it. I can't be a part of it. Um, One of the instructing attorneys, when they were at a court deal you know where they go in and they observe, asked the uh, attorney, well, why, why is the state attorney here in traffic court? He said, because everyone committed perjury. And he didn't know up until just a couple days ago when I shared this with him what that meant. And another lawyer told him, it's been right in front of your face the whole time. Wouldn't tell him what, but told him it's been right in front of you. And I've heard on my journey that the prosecutor has a different date than you have. Oh, boy, isn't that just a shocker that they would be hiding from you so that you're going to get up there? Does this affect and what every
6: it? citizen, though, Ken? That's the problem, though. Does it affect every single person that's out there that's listening right now, or does it just affect the people that are going to court?
4: No, it affects everybody that ever got a driver's license. You're a liar. You're a liar. You committed perjury saying your date of birth is the legal entity's date of birth, and you happen to be incorrect. You've made a mistake. Oops, I'm sorry. I'd like to correct the record because the file date is the date of birth. That's when it was recorded. Any other company comes into it gets recorded. That's its date of birth. Okay, but if
6: I go through my entire life and I don't correct it, what happens to me? Nothing, right? Would you say nothing, right?
4: You remain in a state of perpetual perjury, and that's where they want you, in dishonor. Okay. Okay. Okay? So th- Look, th- is that a crime? I tell you, he's, corrected it. he's corrected it with all the repositories. He's corrected it with Social Security Administration. He's used it with the IRS. This also comes into play with an, a Minnesota assumed name and a legal name, because you've got a given name, surname. That's on the passport. You have an assumed name you use also, which is right after Foreign Affairs Manual. Okay on passport endorsements. Number eight and number nine. Take a look at it yourself. All. And what does it say? Surname given name is is the name of this man on this passport who also uses an assumed name and his or her legal name. And that legal name is only to collect your benefits. That's it. If it's not benefit, then why the hell are you using it? It's just for me for benefits. I used an assumed name to do commerce. And when and did they start all
6: Minnesota. this? When did they start uh, all this? Like, how would it affect the civil rights movement or the black community or the many different other people out there? Like, the, like I remember years ago, people were slaves. So were they given a birth certificate? Were they given a, a Social Security number? How, when did this all start? You're,
4: you're, you're getting off track. You're getting, blind, off, you're getting well, no, I off track. Well, no, I'm
6: trying to answer questions. Remember, I'm getting pounded with questions. Don't forget, while you're talking. So I got oh, The only to thing
4: they need to do, the only thing they need to concentrate on right now is, is that file date the date of birth for that legal entity, or are they convinced that their date of birth is the date of birth for that legal entity? That's what they need to be asking themselves. Not you, not me. They need to ask themselves. I'm just telling you what I did last week when I noticed the clerk and told him every case that you have ever, any matter you've ever heard down there at that courthouse has the wrong date. And uh, we're at Monday, and the child support bill has been paid as agreed. I don't know what else to tell you, guys. I'm just telling you my experience. And you can ask all the questions you want, or you can share my, the, the Ken Scott profile. You go over here and take a look yourself. I'm doing live feeds. I'm sharing the information. It's free. No class to come to. You don't have to bow to me or send me a picture. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A so a like scam the scammers
6: page. out there. Yeah, yeah. Look, no, look, bro, that's good. This
4: is, yeah. this is the biggest. Look, guys, they've opened the, they've opened the email 11 times. Never responded to it, but they've opened it 11 times. 11 times since Wednesday. And they didn't read it for 17 hours after I sent it. And then after that, they would have went, oh, shit, he knows. So the, people, the that people
6: that have been getting taken advantage of by this system, this evil, no, filthy money no. system, no, No, hang on, let me finish, let me finish, hang on I'm trying to make a point here, but I'm, I'm backing up your point So the people that have been taken advantage of by this system Have been, get, being, have been lied to, they've been robbed And they can set the record you. straight and get to the bottom of this, right?
4: Yeah, it was their mistake in the first place They have to make it be your mistake They give you the birth certificate They just don't tell you how to use it and You decided to use it, to get a driver's license And then lie about which date of birth it was And that's what they want Exactly. Look, let me bring somebody on here. Okay. Hold on just a second. All right. All right. Hang on. I don't know why you're calling me. <laughs> Oops, sorry, 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 yeah, sorry. My wrong bad. Guy. Oh, wrong guy. Mm-hmm. Wrong number. Hold on, hold on.
7: He's all trying, right, to, right. Call well, I'm trying to call me. Also, I got stories
4: that wanted
6: hold to talk on. about something, too, that he had a subject that he wanted to talk about. But we'll see if you can get a hold of your person here real quick.
4: Now he's on. listen, listen, if you want to let go. I don't have time. No, no. I want to make I sure I got. I want to
6: make sure you get a hold of him. Are you? Is he? Is he there?
4: Oh, I'm ringing him right now. Oh, okay. All right. All right.
6: That's what I'm making sure. Okay.
4: Or if you don't want to hear
6: it, I'll go. No, I want to hear it. I'm doing a live right. show. I can't tell everybody.
4: Hold on. on. That's why I'm
0: asking. Give it, give it a second
4: here. Give it a second. Here. I guess he's not going to answer. That's ridiculous. And right, you well, see, that's why. What, that's, that's, yeah, I yeah. know. That's what I'm, I I go wish he would. Go answer. ahead and bring your Sarge on, man. I'll call you back.
6: Yeah, try to get him back. Try to get him on here. I want to hear what he has to say. Sarge, you still there? Yeah, I really appreciate what your last call had to say
5: about not trusting the press and all that. I don't trust them at all. But look, I, but since there is war talk in the air, and the war yeah. drums are beating, and I know they lie to us every single microsecond, yeah. I'd just like to discuss it as a theoretical possibility or an actuality. I mean, I understand okay. these people are trying to deceive us. Don't get me wrong.
8: Oh, but yeah. Look, I yeah. want to
5: talk about this report, this study that was done by the United States Army's 107th Airborne Brigade in 2017. It's, that is The, the 173rd Airborne is a central component of NATO's rapid deployment force, okay? This is what they found in their study. They found that U.S. armed forces, particularly ground forces in Europe, were under-equipped, under-manned, and adequately organized to confront military aggression from Russia. They didn't have viable air defense and electric warfare capability. They was combined with an over-reliance on satellite communications and GPS nav systems, They figured they would, this is what the study said, and that's not my study, it's what they said, it would result in a piecemeal destruction of the United States Army in rapid order should they face off against a Russian military that was organized, trained, and equipped to specifically defeat a U.S. NATO threat in the region. Remember, it's only 500 miles from Moscow to Kiev, and less distance from the Russian border to Ukraine. So the issue isn't just qualitative. It's also quantitative. Even if our ground forces could stand toe-to-toe with the Russian adversary, I don't believe it can right now, not in Europe. It just lacks the size to survive any sustained battle or campaign. Now, we've been fighting these low-intensity conflicts in Iraq and Afghanistan. We've got this organizational ethos built around the idea that every American life is precious. And, by the way, I'm glad of that. I'm not trying to knock it. In all efforts, you're going to evacuate any wounded or even dead so they can get life-saving medical treatment or burial is shipped home to, you know, honorable burial and all that. That's great. That might have been viable when you're in control of the environment in which you can control the battlefield, essentially, once you get enough forces there. But when it's back and forth like it was, say, in World War II, I got news for you. They often left American dead and wounded on the battlefield because they didn't have any other choice. They had to. They were fighting a peer opponent that could project the same kind of battlefield capability that they could. It's not possible that when you're fighting a peer opponent. You're going to be forced off the battlefield. The Russians ain't fighting in flip-flops with technicals in the back of pickup trucks. It's just not the same thing. We don't have any idea of the hellstorm. Even if we can defeat them, the casualties we would probably take would simply be unacceptable. Not for the American public to take. Hell, they wouldn't take it. Look at what was going on with the relatively low casualty rate in Iraq and Afghanistan. The American people wouldn't put up with it. Nor should they. Fighting in Russia well, 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 against, against but, the but, Russian but sorry,
6: army? Are you serious? But, sarge, the reason why I brought up the Pacific is you missed my whole point. Is that we would have to secure the Pacific Ocean because China then would would try to attack the South Pacific. They would try, and if they can gain ground in the South Pacific, we could be in trouble. And that's why I was telling you. That's how we will get roped into a global conflict. That's my point. Okay.
5: All right, well, which is more critical to the American national security, the South Pacific or Ukraine? I would say let's have those forces in the region that is more critical. We've got a defense treaty with Taiwan. We've got an alliance with Taiwan.
7: Yes, yeah. And I yeah. think
5: we, we, we are more – look, we're going to be – how many people are in the armed forces? We've got a million pieces, just over a million people
6: in the whole damn armed forces. We got one point. We, we got one million four hundred sixty thousand. We got one million four hundred sixty thousand active right now. Yeah, okay, right now. That,
5: that that is really kind of small, given what we'd have to have to counter a Russian threat in Ukraine and be prepared to counter the, the Chinese threat in the South Pacific. Well, well, well you're talking a ground
6: campaign. Yeah, you're talking a ground campaign. Yes, yeah, so, but well, but but that's that's really, what,
5: a, how are you going to kick the Russian out of Ukraine?
6: Without no, no, but you're not Sarge, do it Sarge, I'm, I'm talking see. about the Russians attacking us in a ground campaign. They wouldn't be able to do it. They don't have the capability to cross the Pacific Ocean. You, where where, where they are, are they
5: can... going to attack us, in Eastern Europe?
6: Well, that's what I'm saying, Sarge. What, what I'm trying to tell you, Sarge, is uh, you're, you're not going to attack the us. They're going to
5: attack Ukraine. We've got to get to Ukraine to aid them with ground. We forces. are
6: already there, Sarge. We're already there, very no, close by. We're in by. Poland
5: right now. We've got some advisors. We've got
6: a few hundred advisors in Ukraine. Well, we're in Germany too, you know. So, but but the thing of it is, you know, I think is isn't one of our largest bases in Germany, actually.
5: Certainly, uh, yeah. yeah. I, I see. Well, I was, uh, you know, around Grafenwöhr, vile Flicking, and the Fulda Gap. And they had pretty big
6: bases back then. But they won't. But we won't go it alone. We'll have NATO. NATO will be the one that drags us in. That's my point. <laughs> see, is you're going on NATO, you know, and I'm not. I think
5: they're no, irrelevant and they don't want to tangle with <laughs> Russia over Ukraine. You don't think so? They might be willing to do it if a NATO member was attacked, but Ukraine is not a member of NATO. And the I know reason that, I that know. Putin is so nervous is because NATO's been expanding toward the Russian border. What do you think the United States would think if the Warsaw Pact, which doesn't exist anymore, was
6: expanding into Mexico? Okay. Well, well, we got Russia already trying to go in Venezuela. I mean, how close is Russia right now to the United States? Isn't Russia? Well, well if Russia information. provides
5: a threat to Venezuela or Central America, I'd be all for fighting them to do whatever it takes to kick them out. But they're not. I believe they're already they there. Want, there I they think. want a country that's on their western border that they think <clears> is part of theirs. That's filled with ethnic speaking Russians.
6: I sorry, I'm telling you right now I believe that if we went head to head with Russia Russia would not stand a chance we own the air we own the na- the seas air air uh, we have, sea we, we own contested. it would be contested the air would be contested I think we have a better chance on the seas but remember
5: Ukraine is mostly landlocked except for Crimea which they've already got they That's took true. Crimea that is true. and Sevastopol So Russia that so is Ukraine true. is a
6: landlocked country in effect so we should let them, got them take no Ukraine to the sea so you're saying let them take back Ukraine, because that's what Putin's goal is. That's what his goal is. I, I, that's
5: said, what he let wants. Him, I said that we don't commit troops on the ground there. going If they're going to get wiped out, they're going to be slaughtered. For what?
6: Okay. Okay. I mean, we right. can do whatever okay, we can
5: do to help Ukraine. Ukrainians will put up a good fight. They have a good army. They have a history of resisting Russian aggression. They don't want the Russians in their country. We can assist them with military aid. We don't have to send our troops in there. That's all I'm saying.
6: Okay. All right. Okay. That's fair. I, I mean, I'll, I'll I really go with that. I,
5: honest God, I think that would be about the stupidest thing we could possibly do to send ground troops into Ukraine. Because believe me, air superiority and supremacy is going to be contested. Remember, the Russians set up the North Vietnamese Air Defense Network in Vietnam. They have progressed considerably since they're very good at electric warfare and and, and, and counterintelligence. They are very good with that. They're not good at giving their people consumer electronics, but their military uh, is good. I mean, they are really very much capable of conducting electronic warfare. Look at all the talk. Remember all the talk about Russian hackers? Yeah, Russians yeah. are very skilled at doing their jamming communications networks and the like We are reliant upon GPS and global navigation systems More than we should be They should be teaching those troops To use a 1 in 50,000 grid map and a plastic protractor Like they taught me how to use when I was in the army Because when them, when them satellite systems go down You've got to be able to navigate and find a way to communicate with networks of radios that aren't subject to that sort of jamming. You, I don't know. If, I don't know if the armed forces today
6: is, is, is teaching troops to do that like they once did. Well, well Sarge, since 2014, the US, Department, uh, U.S. Departments of State and Defense have committed over $2.7 billion in training and equipment to help Ukraine preserve its territorial integrity, secure its borders, and improve its, uh, 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 its ability to unite with uh, NATO. So there's a lot invested here with Ukraine right now. The United States reaffirms its unwavering support for Ukraine's sovereignty and territorial integrity since, for, since t- 2014. It strengthened that within its internationally recognized borders, and you know, um, so you know, we cannot allow a a dictator like Putin start running around in Europe, uh, conquering land because because you know with his with his you know with with his regime the guy's a nutcase. He's a KGB nutcase and he wants to see the the old Soviet Union reunite and he thinks communism you know is going to uh, you know the guy's a nut job i just got i guess you know i just don't i just don't like him and i i think he's a threat to to the, the security of the globe i mean if, if uh, we, again, we're going to war we'll, uh, we
5: we him out it's kind of like you know when britain made a territorial guarantee to territorially guarantee the integrity of poland what happened by the end of the war? The Soviets had overrun Poland and were running Poland. They made it into a puppet state. Okay? Yeah. And the whole war, they went to war on the idea of protecting Poland. They couldn't do anything about it. Yeah. I'm just saying there's certain realities you just got to accept unless you're willing to accept unacceptable because i got the american people are not going to accept the idea of massive casualties protect ukraine and we're not even protecting our own southern border we got drug gangs coming across they're doing chemical warfare against the american people with fentanyl laced stuff that's literally killing tens of thousands of americans and this senile old goat won't close that border
6: <laughs> yeah, well that is true. I, 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 but, I just know.
5: can't get behind guaranteeing the territorial integrity of Ukraine and won't even guarantee their own territorial integrity.
6: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that is true. That is true. But you know, the United States so far what 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 what's it the United States has used a variety of security assistance programs and authorities to help build the defense and capacity of Ukrainian armed forces. Um, they've uh let's see, um, um, uh, the packages have included training equipment and advisory efforts to enhance Ukraine's defense capabilities such as maritime domain awareness, operational safety and capacity of Air Force bases, and the uh, lethality, uh, uh, command and control and survivability of the UAF. USAI uh, also supports cyber defense and strategic communications to counter Russian cyber attacks and misinformation. A large portion of annual USAI funds are contingent on DOD and state-certifying uh, Ukraine's progress on key, key defense uh, reforms. Um, uh, Ukraine has also received assistance uh, pursuant to DOD's security cooperation authorities, notably 10 USC Uh, 333 and 10 USC 332, Section 333 authorizes training, equipment, equipping, and small-scale military construction for specific types of operations. Uh, Section 332 promotes civilian control of the military and places civilian advisors from DOD and Ukraine's Ministry of Defense. Um, uh, You know, uh, so, you know, I'm just saying that we're already too far in. We've got so much in already. We've given them so much uh, equipment and money and uh, um, you know uh, materials here and, and time and energy invested in this, are we just going to walk away? Because Russia can overrun y- Ukraine and Ukraine will only stall the Russian military. They have the capability of doing that right now with the hopes okay, the rest Joe, of the world will join in. Let me give you a real world example of what
5: just happened in Syria, okay? Now when you talk about Russia's excellence and capability and electronic warfare capability. Remember, we're going to rely on that stuff. Modern armed forces relies on high-tech communications and navigation systems. It's essential. All right? Okay. Now, here's what happened in Syria. Uh, uh, You could almost say they may be, if they don't lead the world with jamming equipment and technology, they're in the top tier, that's for sure. Even if you want to say they lead the world, they're in the top tier. You look at Syria. U.S. and, 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 and um, Russian mercenaries in Syria, they left a whole lot of Russian mercenaries dead. Remember, uh, Trump killed a whole bunch of maybe two, three hundred of them? Uh, cause, because of the United States battlefield communications, use of GPS relaying positions to um, M142, HIMARS artillery, and the AC-160 gunships. Okay, so that showed that our stuff, when it's working, we can bring nymph on anybody. If it's working. But here's what they did. Right after that, the Russians jammed all similar communications, and it rendered mass confusion among those U.S. forces. They couldn't locate the targets anymore.
6: Okay. See, So all I'm right. saying,
5: The Russians had the capability, and believe me, it's game
6: on when they do that. Well, you know that the commanding officer of the USS2X City LCS-11 gold crew was relieved. That's right. What, I wonder why that they really, why Biden made that decision.
5: Look, Biden has made this stuff like more likely. Biden has got the, uh, the, even though Nord Stream Two is not pumping any oil, the fact of the matter is, is that what he has done is to give a green light to Putin to go ahead and start up his pipeline. And the Europeans, the Western Europeans, know they need that energy. They don't want to antagonize the Russians and have it possibly sh- shut off in the middle of an oncoming winter. But Biden yep. has made this more likely. He strengthened Putin's hand, a dirty, no-good, lousy, rotten bastard. And now he's yep. just a bitch acting like he wants to pull all these things out of it. And he's the one that made all this more likely. <laughs> and now he well, wants uh, us to spend our blood and treasure on it when he's done it, with his weak punk
6: ass. Well, right now these are the approximate. Right now, you've got the approximate positions of the U.S. Navy deployed carrier, carrier strike groups and amphibious ready groups throughout the world as of February 14, 2022, based on Navy and public data. In cases where uh, CESG or ARG is conducting uh, uh, operations, the chart reflects the location of the capital ship. And uh, right now. Um, uh let's see they're, they're, uh let's see what's see the ESG. Uh, the Abraham Lincoln is off the coast of Japan. Uh the Ronald Reagan is off of uh, uh Japan. The Essex is up by uh the, um Guam. Uh then you have the Harry S Truman that's off the coast of Italy right now. And then you have the Carl Vinson Nimix is off the coast of California. So uh, well, we have right a national case.
5: security interest there. I don't think we have it in Ukraine. I don't think we can We're strategically it. placed right now. That's my point. I don't think point. we can be effective there anyway.
8: Well, Aren't I are strategically deployed. Look,
5: I, I just remember back in the 80s, I remember when when we had two. So, we were squaring off against two allegedly Soviet-style mechanized infantry regiments, and we were had a U.S. Army mechanized brigade. And we started in the morning before dusk, before dawn, and by 5, 6 o'clock, 6.30 in the evening, we had been destroyed. We had been wiped out. The Soviets took all their objectives. And this happened time after time after time after time after time again. And all the studies that show have been bearing it out. That doesn't mean you're being defeatist. It means, look, do you think the United States Army could have gone toe-to-toe with the German Army in 1942? Do you know?
6: No, no, of way. course
5: not. No, head to you head mean, down. Okay, you've got to wait. If you're going to fight, you've got to get prepared. And thank God we had the unsinkable aircraft carrier called Great Britain in order to do it from. We've been yeah, playing great-ass thrillers for the last two decades.
6: We can't We can't compare uh, World War II uh, strength of our military compare, compared uh, to today. In terms of <laughs> battlefield power that <clears throat> can be projected, yes, oh. we can the Russians
5: can project much more battlefield power at, at at hand in their own backyard than we can. Even most Western European, including Germany, Germany's got a pretty good army,
0: but I mean yeah.
5: it'd, it'd be a, it'd be a tough nut to crack, even with the German army. Remember, all yeah. the Dnieper River is a great big obstacle. You got to get across it. They're going to get there first, more than likely, even with. The resistance they're going to get in eastern Ukraine—they get there first. They fortify that. That's a barrier you got to get across.
6: Well, well, the most powerful military. <clears throat> well, how do we man? rank they here? They got to
5: come from the east. They're closer.
6: Yeah, yeah. Well, well. Since we're talking in military ranks and whatnot, the most powerful military. How do how do these four superpowers? Uh, and you do, you brought up Poland, so let's see if if you uh, check and see if you still get sound here. I wonder what's going on. Why that sound got wiped out? But well, let's see what happens here. Um, let's see. Uh, go play this one.
1: France is training for a large-scale war. The United States and China both face a ticking clock, counting down to the termination of Taiwan's fate. After almost 80 years of no major conflicts, the world is once more on the brink of major war. But who will be the most powerful military in 2022? And can the U.S. truly retain the top spot? Despite the COVID pandemic, Pakistan has managed to overtake Turkey for the number 10 spot in the world's most powerful militaries. For another year, Pakistan's defense budget has increased by double digits, jumping by 12% in 2021 alone. Currently, Pakistan fields a military of 654,000 active duty personnel and 550,000 reserves with an additional 500,000 paramilitary forces in the form of special police, which can be called up to frontline duty in case of war. But why the increase in spending? Despite tensions with India remaining relatively stable, Pakistan is perhaps preparing to exploit the distracted India in the near future. Both nations lay claim to Kashmir, and Pakistan is not willing to simply give it up anytime soon. With tensions rising between India and China, should border skirmish which have resulted in loss of life on both sides, turn into a full-blown war, it would be the opportunity Pakistan needs to secure Kashmir. To this end, Pakistan is modernizing its nuclear armament and is investing heavily into special operations forces and into new main battle tanks purchased from China. The strengthening of Pakistan's military might also be a way of courting Chinese favor, as China certainly has every interest in seeing a strong Pakistan which will serve as a major thorn in the side of its rival India. In case of war, China could almost certainly count on Pakistan taking its to the situation to attack India's western territories, forcing India into a two-front war. But can Pakistan's predicted number 10 spot truly hold? That remains to be seen because few nations have been hit as hard by the COVID-19 pandemic as Pakistan has. 25 million families currently are relying on government aid if they're unable to work due to the pandemic. And the increasing defense budget is angering many, both domestic and abroad. Seeing as the nation received a $6 billion loan from the IMF in 2021, critics believe Pakistan's money better spent on its people, not on buying new weapons. And should domestic outrage build, Pakistan could easily get knocked off that number 10 spot. On the other side of the planet, Brazil continues to hold on to its number 9 spot. Despite a recent surge in domestic trouble, currently Brazil has a military of 334,500 active duty members with an impressive 1.3 million reserve force. Given its ongoing missions of enforcing security amongst the Amazon states and tackling an explosion in organized crime, it also has a force of 400,000 paramilitary personnel primarily police force. Recently, the nation is focused on modernizing its military rather than expanding it, as the nation was forced to halt the expansion of its defense budget thanks to the impact of COVID-19. Purchasing equipment from Europe and the United States, though, allows Brazil to easily overshadow any other South American country as the dominant military in the region. Brazil was the only South American country to send troops to fight alongside allies in World War II. The nation continues to honor that legacy by conducting joint training with the U.S. forces, and its capable navy can deter any global foe from attempting operations along the South American coast, making Brazil a valued U.S. partner. With the help of the United States, Brazil has officially resuscitated its capability of conducting airborne operations again, allowing it to protect force across the incredibly difficult South American terrain and further bolster its growing capabilities. while the nation doesn't look set to increase rank in 2022, it certainly isn't going to be dropping from its number nine spot anytime soon. The first European power to make our list is the United Kingdom. Once a global superpower, the UK is still a force to be reckoned with, even if its capabilities have seriously atrophied in the last three decades. After the end of the Cold War, British military capabilities seriously diminished, a trend that has only recently begun to be reversed. Thanks to a resurgent Russia and an interest in keeping the Indo-Pacific free, the UK pushed through almost $22 billion in addition defense spending over the next four years, starting in 2020. This will hopefully end the infamous era of retreat which has seen British influence and military power steadily shrink decade by decade. An alarming report in 2019 questioned the British military's ability to fight and win a conflict against a modern foe, and accused the nation of hiding behind a nuclear shield due to its incapability to win conventional conflicts. While British Air Forces remained strong, with its famous Special Air Service wing being one of the top special forces in the world, the Royal Navy has suffered dramatically well perhaps not as bad as the British Army, which has earned the nickname of the Borrowers for its lack of equipment and the need to trade for equipment with other nation's forces when deployed together. In spite of these shrinking capabilities, the UK's nuclear arsenal has remained in good shape, given its investment in ballistic submarines. However, without a nuclear capability, the United Kingdom would easily be overshadowed by Brazil for the number eight spot on the list. And there are many questions whether the UK is truly ready to fight alongside its ally, the United States, against Russia or China in a future conflict. The next spot on our list is occupied by another European nation that's perhaps better prepared for the next major conflict than many other powers. This nation is France, which retains its number seven spot on our list and boasts the second most powerful military in Europe after Russia. But it's exactly Russia who's driving a major investment in the French military, which will see its capabilities continue to grow in 2022 and beyond. France already has a very capable military armed with modern weapon systems and excellent training. Its navy is the most capable of European NATO allies, with one-air Carrier, 11 destroyers, 10 submarines, and 11 frigates. Three helicopter carriers have also given France the capability to launch amphibious operations in response to a possible future conflict with Russia, or while aiding its American allies in a South Pacific conflict against China. In the 2010s, France identified a serious lack of capabilities in conducting independent operations far from its own shores without the help of the United States. While this has been a plaguing problem all across European NATO members, France has been the only one to systematically tackle and fix the issue. Issue, proving it's capable of force projection far from home with its involvement in various anti-terrorism operations in Africa. An aggressive investment into its defense budget sees the nation committed to growing that budget by over $2 billion a year since 2019. And the nation is investing heavily in next-generation tech that will help ensure it remains on the cutting edge of military innovation. Heavy investments into the joint Franco-German-Spanish Future Combat Air System and the Franco-German Main Ground Combat System will bring new fighters and main battle tanks to the already impressive French military. France will, without a doubt, retain its number seven spot, but only the ever-present threat of war will keep both France and the country in the number six spot at the forefront of military innovation. North Korea long ago found to reunite the Korean Peninsula by force if necessary. If modern North Korea wants to go through with this plan, they'll face the sixth most powerful military in the world armed with modern and very capable equipment and an ever-growing defense capability. For most of its life, South Korea has relied heavily on its ally, the United States, to ensure it remains free and independence of both North Korea and China. However, the modern South Korean military is more than capable of fighting and winning a war against North Korea and is powerful enough to make China have second thoughts about any potential ambitions to reinstate historical control over the region. The nation maintains 600,000 active duty personnel with 3.1 million trained reservists ready to respond in case of hostilities. The nation places a premium on military readiness and all men between the ages of 18 to 28 must serve between 21 and 24 months in the various branches of the military. This leaves South Korea with a massive pool of experienced civilians of military age to call upon in case of war. The South Korean military is expanding its capabilities with new technologies, including the acquisition of unmanned battlefield drones equipped for suicide missions, traditional surveillance, or ground support roles. In a joint partnership with the UK, South Korea also hopes to launch its very first light aircraft carrier in the coming years. And the nation is building an arsenal of ballistic missiles specifically designed to destroy North Korean artillery in place But which could just as easily be used to fend off Chinese aggression in the South Pacific region. With ever-growing capabilities, the gap between South Korea and the number five nation is tiny. But the world's fifth most powerful military will not be easily overtaken. Modern Japan stands on the verge of a constitutional crisis. After its bitter defeat in World War II, the Japanese Constitution forbade the nation from using its military for anything other than direct self-defense. However, the modern security environment for Japan is an extremely challenging one, and Decades of pacifism are being questioned in Japan's highest halls of power. Controversially, in 2015, Japan approved the use of expeditionary forces in conflicts it deemed were vital to national security. This was almost solely driven by a growing threat from China, which Japan views as a critical threat to its national interest and the world order. To this end, the Japanese military has seen a heavy investment in expeditionary capabilities, allowing the Japanese self-defense forces to better assist their American allies in case of war. Major investments in amphibious capabilities have been a shot in the arm to the Japanese military, as well as Japan's acquisition of the F-35. Within 10 years, Japan hopes to have a force of nearly 200 F-35s. Another major investment for the Japanese military is in ballistic missile defense, driven both by the threat of North Korean nuclear missiles and China's People's Liberation Rocket Forces, with Japanese air and naval bases critical to any operations against China in case of war for both Japan and the U.S. They are high-priority targets for hundreds of Chinese ballistic missiles. Japan only too well understands that as war with China loomed, it would be on the front line of the largest missile assault in history. Today, Japan is looking to double the investment in its military to 2% of GDP, a move that will be controversial to many Japanese, but of vital importance to its national security. The investment will ensure that Japan remains in the top five most powerful militaries on Earth, but is unlikely to move it up any further given the four heavyweights in those spots. India marks our entry into the true global heavyweights. Military so powerful it would take an alliance of nations to challenge them. With 1.4 million active personnel and 1.2 million reserve personnel, the Indian military is among the most capable in Asia and challenged only by China in the region. Indian military power ranges from a formidable air force to a ground army and a strong navy. The nation is part of the aircraft carrier club with one modern carrier supported by a fleet of 10 destroyers, 13 frigates, and 17 submarines. The Indian Navy is of particular importance to the nation, seeing as it's at the very crossroads of one of the most important ocean trade routes in the world, and the jugular of the Chinese foreign trade. While a robust and capable force, India suffers from a lack of modernity amongst its modern equipment. It has a very small domestic arms industry, forcing it to rely on its arms imports, and no nation ever exports its very best arms. Because of this, while very capable, Indian tanks, aircraft, and even ships are routinely outmatched, pound for pound, by its current biggest threat, China. However, things are set to change with the Indian military, as Prime Minister Modi has made the historic decision of strengthening ties with the United States. Historically, India has opted to remain largely ambiguous toward major world powers, and famously purchased both Soviet and American weapons. This came with its own problems, however, as neither nation was willing to partner with India in the purchasing or development of truly cutting-edge systems. After trashing a deal to co-develop Russian fifth-gen fighter, and with rising hostilities in China, India has recently met with the U.S., Australia, and the U.K., and have built to strengthen relations. In the coming decades, if this partnership grows to an alliance, the Indian military will direct benefit, becoming a power that might not only rival China, but eventually overtake it. In our top three lies India's arch nemesis. During the third Taiwan Strait crisis in 1995, the United States sailed a carrier battle group through the Taiwan Strait in a humiliating show of force that ended the crisis. When asked what its worst nightmare was, a Chinese general at the time responded with, the United States Navy off the Chinese coast. After an absolutely meteoric rise in Chinese military power, however, the modern U.S. Navy has been forced to admit it can no longer safely operate within sight of the Chinese coastline. Twenty years ago, China would have struggled to earn a spot in this top ten list of the world's most powerful militaries. Today, we aren't even sure if we can predict China won't topple Russia for the number two spot in 2022. The Chinese military is the largest in the world, with 2.2 million active duty personnel and 510,000 reservists. Its navy recently also became the largest in the world, with 777 total vessels. While most of these are lightly armed coastal patrol vessels, China does operate its largest of submarines and frigates in the world with 79 submarines and 46 frigates. Its force of 50 destroyers ranks amongst the top three and alarmingly, new Chinese destroyers are largely thought of as more capable, technologically speaking, than current American destroyers even if they're less well-armed. The nation also has an impressive air fleet of 3,260 aircraft with 1,200 fighters, 371 attack aircraft and 327 attack helicopters. However, the People's Liberation Air Force faces modernization problems and while it operates 50 J-20 self-fighters, the J-20 is largely believed to be inferior to the American F-22, F-35, and the Russian Su-57. The nation, however, is seeking to offset its imbalance in air power with a strong emphasis on standoff attack weapons and a large maritime force. China completely outstrips the United States in the development of hypersonic missiles, a truly revolutionary weapon that threatens the survivability of the U.S. Navy in the South Pacific. Its expanding fleets of amphibious assault ships are a critical threat to Taiwan and other South Pacific nations, and its militarization of islands in the South China Sea has led to a string of unsinkable aircraft carriers that the U.S. Navy recently admitted it could not challenge without pulling resources away from other parts of a war front with the country. A robust defense industry sees China dominate the number Free spot, but the economic and demographic problems faced by the second most powerful military power will almost inevitably lead to China overtaking it as the number two military in the world. The spot for the second most powerful military in the world is claimed by Russia, a hard-earned title after facing the apocalyptic decrease in power caused by the collapse of the Soviet Union. The modern Russian military fields an active force of one million personnel with two million reservists. However, much of Russia's military is made up of conscripts, despite a push to expand the number of volunteers peers through economic incentives. In the air, Russia dwarfs China with 4,144 total aircraft, 789 of which are fighters. While this is less than China, Russian fighters are on the whole more capable than their Chinese counterparts, given that most Chinese fighters are based on Soviet or Russian designs. Its ground attack fleet is the second largest in the world, with 742 ground attack aircraft and 538 attack helicopters. Russia claims a force of 13,000 tanks, but these are overwhelmingly greatly antiquated Soviet-era tanks that have been mothballed and would require weeks of preparation to be made battle-ready. Even then, they wouldn't stand a chance against a modern tank. Though Russians have always proven that numbers provide a form of quality. Realistically, only about 2,000 Russian tanks are either combat-ready or modern. The Russian Navy is the second largest in the world, with 603 total ships. However, the Russian Navy best exemplifies the real problem with the Russian military. It has a great deal of equipment, but very little of it is truly modern. A host of economic issues, including sanctions over its actions in Crimea and an exodus of its population seeking better opportunities elsewhere, is placing its future in serious danger. Today, Russia has a very troubling population growth rate of negative 0.2%. The Russian military is a paradox of very capable weapon systems based on antiquated platforms. Its navy is largely made of Soviet-era holdovers, and get its ships, while individually outclassed by other nations, are still equipped with some of the best missile systems in the world. This is a problem that plagues Russia, as the nation is unable to raise the funds to modernize its military, leaving it in serious jeopardy of losing a conventional war. After it was slapped with sanctions in 2014, the nation was unable to procure much of the dual-use technology it relied on from the West for its reconnaissance satellite fleet and its lack of drones and other recon assets, as well as very few smart weapons, makes it difficult for the Russian military to accurately target its advanced weapon systems. While today Russia remains a powerhouse, most of its strength comes from its massive nuclear arsenal. As its economy continues to shrink, Russia is very rapidly approaching sharing the same fate as the UK becoming a power force to hide behind its nuclear shield and unable to project power far from its own shores. In 2022, Russia will likely retain the number two spot, but it's unlikely to hold on to it much longer. Due to its trajectory, it's hard to see a future where the country will be able to overtake the number one military power in the world. The United States continues to dominate as the world's sole superpower and the most capable military on the planet. However, the gap between the United States and Russia and China has been greatly eroded in recent years, and many now question if the U.S. can try truly fight and win a war against either rival. Its active duty force consists of 1.4 million personnel, with a reservist force of 846,000. Unlike most other nations, however, the United States Reserve Force not only receives regular training but is equipped with modern equipment and routinely sound combat operations during the U.S.'s most recent wars. This makes the U.S. Reserve Force alone as fully capable as many of the militaries on this list. In the air, the United States is unchallenged with the world's largest air fleet of 13,233 aircraft. And including the world's largest fighter fleet of 1,956 aircraft. Air power is a very big deal for the U.S. military, and it also retains an air attack fleet of 761 aircraft, notably including the world's only fleet of stealth bombers. On the ground, however, the U.S. is only the world's third largest fleet of main battle tanks, but each and every one is modern and extremely capable. While the Abrams might be aging in design, routine upgrade packages provide improved electronics, sensors and optics, and even armor upgrades. However, the venerable tank is facing new problems, mainly that the latest upgrade packages pushes its weight to almost 100 tons, entirely too heavy for the tank to be transported by conventional methods. Having one of the world's best tanks means nothing if you can't ship it to the fight. The U.S. Navy is only the fourth largest, but it's by far the most capable. Its 490 ship Navy consists of 11 aircraft carriers and 10 assault carriers, the largest amphibious assault fleet in the world. 92 destroyers and 68 submarines make up the backbone of the U.S. Navy, and both the destroyer and submarine fleets are receiving upgrades in the form of the DDG-X program, which aims to produce a new class of destroyer, and the Virginia-class, which is even now coming into service with the U.S.'s submarine fleet. The U.S. is a world-class power, but it suffers from two critical weaknesses that endanger its ability to fight and win future conflicts. First, the U.S. has been completely outmatched in the development of conventional breakthrough technologies, such as hypersonic missiles. While the United States was focused on developing weapons and systems to defeat asymmetrical foes, such as terrorists and insurgents, China and Russia both developed a robust hypersonics program. Today, the U.S. has no usable hypersonic weapons, while both China and Russia have added small numbers to their arsenals. These weapons are a critical threat to the U.S., as they're much more difficult to defeat with missile defense systems and place the U.S. Navy at great risk. The second problem for the United States is a history of overeager investment in next generation technologies, with often little to no payout. In the early 2000s, the U.S. invested tens of millions into its future warrior concept, promising to bring breakthrough technologies to the individual warfighter, few of these technologies ever actually panned out. Next, the U.S. invested $10 billion into the Zumwalt-class destroyer, an advanced destroyer with great capabilities that ended up being so expensive the entire program was canceled. Purchasing just 2,000 of the long-range land attack projectile rounds fired by its dual 155-millimeter cannons would have cost the U.S. $2 billion. The littoral combat ship promised to give the U.S. Navy a cheap and mission-flexible craft capable of undertaking a variety of tasks in the littoral waters of hostile coasts. Ultimately, every LCS has been ordered for early retirement due to a long string of failures with various ship systems and the fact that the ship is rated as non-combat survivable due to its poor design and lack of armament.
6: All right, all right. Well, there you go. There's the rankings there, Sarge. Uh, uh, We've got a few minutes here left. Uh, 657-383-0616. Uh, war with Ukraine. Coming soon, will the United States be pulled into it? Uh, and I asked people here tonight if they wanted, if they thought the U.S. should stay out of it. We got into a little bit of a debate there about the Russian capability. I, I stand firm that the United States can knock the heck out of Russia, wipe them off the map, if need be, if they had to be done. I believe our military is superior, and... Uh, And if Russia didn't have any help, then they could be eliminated. That's why they're being very careful not to turn the tide of the world against them. That's why they're not so quick to jump in and invade Ukraine. So, Sarge, go ahead. Closing thoughts here tonight. I believe
5: Russia, I believe the United States is superior. I mean, the United States has got a, 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 a Russia's got less than $2 trillion GDP, okay? Economically, they're pipsqueak compared to the United States, all right? In a long-term fight where we're not actually going to try to take Ukraine, I don't think they have a chance against the United States. Where we actually prepare to fight them and drive them out? But if you're going to talk about keeping them from getting initially into Ukraine and taking their objectives, we cannot do it any more than we could have defeated Nazi Germany in 1942. It just ain't going to happen. Now, in the long term, yes, yes, the United States... Could absolutely crush Russia, long term, but not in the short term. All you're gonna do is get a lot of GIs killed, the United States embarrassed on a world stage.
6: I agree. I'll agree to that. I'll agree to that last section there that you said. Yeah, you know, but but we'd have to endure. And, and this government, you know, political opinion and whatnot. Only during elections do they matter you know, look at Vietnam, you know, I mean, so, and really, uh, and domestically, uh, uh, you want to comment on what he was talking about with the birth certificate, do you want to make any comments on that? Uh, we had uh, Mr. Ken there call in, and I know he's got some yeah. news here about that, but I was, I was hoping his friend would have call, called in, uh, you know, he I'm trying to make him understand, I'm doing it live, I can't wait for you to contact people, you know, but yeah. uh, what do you think, sir? Yeah,
5: well, I, I just don't have enough information about that to, to comment intelligently on it, I, I know that yeah. much. That you know, look, look. I've heard those theories before. Right now, I don't have enough evidence to substantiate it, so I'm not going. I'm agnostic on the matter. But, yeah. But, but I know this much. I know that there are people who are literally trying to create a great reset. This I know without any question. They are using COVID. They're using this uh, Green New Deal. They're using election fraud. They're using every means possible to completely restructure our form of government and our relationship to our governments worldwide, and particularly in the United States, because the United States is the biggest single world obstacle to the, t- to the Great Reset and the type of semi-fascist, oligarchical, elite-run world that these globalists want to put us in.
6: Yep,
5: Correct. i, I can. I'm I'm sure. over over If they're going to
6: use birth certificates to help do that, then I suppose they probably <laughs> would. I know. Hey, Connecticut, go ahead. You're
3: on. You're on live. Go ahead. Yeah, I just wanted to jump in here as we're talking about Russia and Ukraine. Now, I'm I'm not a, a history buff on that, and I I really can't comment too much. But you've been talking, so I don't know exactly what was said, but I just thought I'd throw this out there. You know, Russia has already installed in in the Arctic uh... over the horizon radar and radar jamming for any missiles that come over the horizon and from what i understand you know they're, they're more interested in uh... protecting ukraine from becoming part of nato the same thing that happened with russia and uh... cuba in sixty three now the the prime minister or whoever it is whoever it is who speaks for russia on the news like 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 we have here whoever it may be uh... you know he, he said last week well, uh, and I, I agree with Sarge, and, and I wouldn't I wouldn't argue with what he's saying at all. And I tend to agree with him. On the long term, we will win. But this prime minister or whoever it is, he said, they're going to take out Ukraine or whoever it is in the blink of an eye. And in a nuclear war, there are no winners.
6: Yeah. I don't think there'll be a nuclear war, though. I don't think they will use nuclear weapons. I think that it just will not happen. I, you know, I just, I just don't think that could ha- it, it will. These people are not insane enough to destroy the entire planet. No, but like, I hope but like not. He, I, uh, I really
5: don't think Putin is contemplating kind of using nuclear weapons. He want look, Ukraine is an as a resource rich powerhouse. They have so much natural resources, particularly agricultural resources. They are literally, they were literally when they were the Soviet Union, they were the breadbasket of the Soviet Union. They've got great soil. They've got something like 25% of black soil uh, in the world that's suitable for growing wheat and barley and other agricultural goods. They've got, I, I forget what it is as far as uh, minerals and resources. Ukraine is very resource rich. And Putin wants that. He doesn't want to blow it up.
6: Yeah. Can I get? Go ahead. Putin
5: wants Ukraine because Ukraine is an. That's the reason Adolf Hitler diverted his Panzers from going on Moscow when they could have taken it had he not done it. He was so concerned about the economic resources of Ukraine, he diverted a significant portion of his army to take it. Everybody understands that about Ukraine. Ukraine has got those resources that are essential. To uh, elevate an economy, particularly that resource poor country like Germany or so Ukraine, would have been perfect to help them increase um, the kind of resources they would need to fight a world war. And Putin wants that get- too. Hang on, can I just got something uh-huh. to Go ahead, can I get-
3: yeah, I'm not. I'm not going to argue what Sarge says. I, 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 and Ukraine, it does have a good agricultural uh, production, but but you know we're, we're dealing with these with these politicians. They're nothing but crooks and liars. Look, they're just coming across now what Hillary, what Hillary Clinton did and Russia. So, you know, the saga goes on and on and on. Now, let, let, let's, let's fire the prosecutor or we're not going to give you a billion dollars. You know, Hunter Biden's getting $83,000 a month. And, and, and if Russia should, should annihilate Ukraine, all that information goes up in smoke, poof, and they're home free. Because these people here in the District of Criminals are nothing but crooks. And I have only one thing to say about all of that. Ammunition is expensive and ropes are reusable.
6: Yeah, well. <laughs> yeah. Well, Sarge, I think Sarge, I tell you what, I, I'm probably going to do a show tomorrow night. I need some campaign advice, man. Uh, you know, so I know you're an expert on the I mean, didn't you campaign for somebody or uh keys or something yeah,
5: I, or uh, uh I was um, a a regional coordinator for Jim Overwise's campaign, Southern Chicago regional coordinator for the Jim Oberweiss' campaign when he ran for governor in Illinois. Uh, that was one of, another one of the greater disappointments in my life. The man was like a prophet about illegal immigration. Everybody ridiculed him back then for being alarmist. Oh, he's so alarmist. Oh, he's exaggerating. Oh, he's... he's <laughs> I, mean, I mean, the guy was dead on the money. In fact, he was understating the problem.
6: Wow. Wow. So you foresaw... So they foresaw that problem happening, and look, here it is, right? Oh, man, <laughs> Jim,
5: you should seen the reaction. Of the liberal left elite in Chicago Chicago Tribune, Chicago sometimes, all the commentators on TV oh he's a xenophobic alarmist he because he was a fly, he flew in a helicopter over soldiers' field, and he said this number the, the, the this number of illegal people who would take the fill soldiers' field is coming into the United States illegally every two months back really I, I wish it was that low today. And they oh, yeah. did they get on him for that, oh man, it was horrific the the abuse they he heaped on him, they just all ganged up on a guy like this, but man, you see where it is now, even even now, they just ignore it, two million this yeah. year over two million this year, this year alone, yeah. two million
6: it's insane, insane, insane at the yeah.
5: borders of Ukraine. While well, we got chemical warfare against the American people being conducted by tons of fentanyl coming into the United States and killing tens of thousands of American citizens every year.
7: That is say a problem. That is a problem. Human
5: drug trafficking and everything else and criminals coming into the United States say nothing of that.
6: I know. Yeah, no, I agree with you, Sergeant. Sergeant, yeah, well, I'll do a show tomorrow night at 8 p.m., and, uh, yeah, I'd like to talk about stuff like that, domestic issues, Sergeant, and talk about campaigns. I I would like to discuss that. My, You know, maybe some advice you can give me, or anyone else, or any of your friends, or Bianca can call in. Give me some advice. I need it. And, uh, you You'll know, I, I, was, I, was, yeah, I was in a meeting last weekend with United is States. The uh, is that San- Eastern time, or what time is yeah, it? Yeah, 8, 8 p.m. Eastern time, yes, yes, sir. Um, okay. yeah because right. uh, la- yeah, last week I was in a meeting with United States Senator Mark Walker, and then we had two North Carolina Supreme Court uh, judges there that were there. I was it was at the Republican uh, committee meeting there, and it was very interesting uh, meeting so yeah let 's have it a- do a show tomorrow night that'll be the plan um, I'm in overtime right now so they're going to cut me off any second here so uh, thanks Sarge thanks Bianca, thanks Connecticut, thanks uh, Ken for calling in. I know you want to talk about that birth certificate issue I know it's important and it does affect the economy and a lot of things, but I just wanted the answer is how does, what if we just ignore it? What's, I mean, is it just going to be the same thing over and over? I mean, is it affecting our daily lives today? You know, we're in perjury. Well, aren't we? We just talked about that. All these people are liars out there. Aren't we living a big, fat lie, the American dream? <laughs> That's what they call it a dream. You've got to be asleep to realize it's true, you know? <laughs> <laughs> I know you would like that sure, one. Sure. <laughs> All
5: right, everybody, good night. God bless the republic.
1: can to be a little
3: tall enough. The Almighty
2: says this must be a fashionable fight. It's drawn the finest people. Where is thy solution? for presenting yourselves on this battlefield. I give you thanks. This is our
5: army. To join it, you give homage. I give homage to Scotland.
4: And if this is your army,
5: why does it go? We didn't come here to fight for them. Who?
7: Oh, the English are too many.
2: To seven feet tall. Yes, of have
4: heard. Killed men by the hundreds. And if he were here, he'd consume the English with fireballs from his eyes and bolts of lightning from his heart.
0: <laughs>
4: I am William Wallace.
2: And I see a whole army of my countrymen here in defiance of tyranny.
5: You've come to fight as free men. And free men you are. What will you do without freedom? Will you fight? Right? Against that? No. We will run. And we will live.
6: All right? Fight and you may die. Run and you'll live at least
7: a while. And
2: dying in your bed, many years from now, would you be willing to train all the days from this day to that, for one chance, just one chance,
7: to come back
2: here and tell them that they may take our lives, but they'll never take our freedom!